Hello, welcome to Why Not Me. In life, we face many trials and obstacles, many challenges, and in the thick of it, we can be tempted to think, why me? But every obstacle presents an opportunity and every trial can bring triumph. So I want to encourage you to adapt a mindset of, why not me? When, when in the middle of it, when things are tough, look around and think, why not me? It's, it's happening for a purpose. And then when success is at your doorstep and all you have to do is open it, you may find yourself hesitating, questioning, is this for me? Do I deserve this? And I want to encourage you to adapt a mindset of why not me? Throw the door open wide, shout to the world, why not me? Embrace your success. I'm your coach, Todd Halls. I'm grateful to have you on this journey. Welcome to Why Not Me. Hello, hello. Welcome to Why Not Me, turning trials into triumphs, seeking and embracing success. I'm your host, Coach Todd Halls. Grateful as always to be here with you. Listeners, super grateful that you tuned in today. I'm excited about today. We've got a dynamic man with us today. Today joining us, we have Dean Ennis. He's a dad. He's a husband. He's former law enforcement. He's a former banker turned entrepreneur, just looking now to have maximum positive impact in the world. So with that, I give you Dean Ennis. Dean, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you, Todd, for having me. I'm really excited uh, to be a part of this because I think that you're doing amazing things. And whenever you can give people a, a place to hear different perspectives, it's uh, it's a gift. So thank you. Well, you're most welcome. Thanks for being here. So I I gave kind of a, a broad overview and there's, you know, we could get granular probably in each of those dad, you know, being a dad, being a husband, being a banker, law enforcement. Um, as you, as you think back, we talked a little bit before the show. So, so as you think back over your journey of a few decades, um, <laughs> thank you for being <laughs> kind. <laughs> yes. Yes. If you could pick out one or two pivotal moments, that just really stand out. What would they be? Um, I would tell you that, uh, you know, following what your show says and what really interested me um, was turning, you know, trials into triumphs. And uh, I guess when I was 11 years old, I stuttered really badly. And when you're in school, you uh, you amplify everybody's reaction to that. And, and so you get upset and you quiet down and you don't want to talk because people will make fun of you. So I came home one day and I was very upset and I put my hand through my, my mom's closet door. Um, my dad was military. My mom was uh, pretty stern and that didn't go over really well in the family. So, uh, you know, my parents being uh, what they were, they wanted to solve problems. And, and my dad said, you know, this is not going to work out for us. So started me in the martial arts. And uh, so we went to see uh, a special forces guy in the Air Force because my dad had been in the Air Force. And and uh, I started training with my dad and my brother. And, uh, you know, before long, after a year, my dad and my brother had exited and, and I found it something that would carry me through the rest of my life. And the reason why I really gravitated to it is it gave me a sense of discipline, but more so it gave me a sense of inner thought processes and how to handle, you know, situations that are a little beyond your control. For in my example, it was stuttering. And uh, my instructor, although he was really a disciplinarian, 
he started talking about Eastern philosophy and, and how you have to be introverted and understand how problems come and how to deal with them, whether you have control or not. So that was one of the things that really started me on the road uh, that changed my life in a lot of ways, uh, learning discipline, understanding what it takes to do certain things. You know, I, I can throw a punch within an eighth of an inch of anyone in the room and not hit them. And they all think that that's magic. And, you know, the first thing I tell them is it's not magic. It's two million punches. You do two million <laughs> punches, you could do that. And, and you know, uh, I studied Bruce Lee because he was still alive when I was young. And, and uh, one of the things he talks about is he says, I don't fear the man that knows 10,000 techniques. I fear the man that knows one te technique and practices 10,000 times. And, uh, you know, in everything in life, if you understand that there's a little discipline involved and some sacrifice and uh, you end up with uh, positives coming out of it. So that would be one. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually, I, I keep going back. I'm hung up on the fact that you, you put your fist through the door and your folks <laughs> thought we're going to take them to martial arts. What a gift. Cause they could have handled that in so many ways. And, and oftentimes oh, I got a spanking first. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Good. Good. <laughs> but after that, you know, my parents were very, uh, they were compassionate, loving, but they also looked for ways to solve it. And they saw that my, my behavior and my anger required some, a different approach. And, uh, I, yeah. I, I love my parents for all the things that they gave. Me. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. So when clearly you don't stutter a, a tiniest bit now, when did that? Oh, I do. But you just don't notice it as much. And I that got fixed later. The karate didn't fix the stuttering. It fixed the anger. But uh, okay, something yeah. else fixed the stuttering. <laughs> yeah. Got it. Got it. Got it. Huh. So started, you started uh, martial arts at 11. And then... Take, take us take us up to law enforcement, for instance. When did you? Because that was the that was the first thing kind of on your resume, I think. I think you mentioned yeah. Burger King first, but yeah, then, then. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know, uh, uh, there's a, a lot of reasons if you work at Burger King why you want to get into law enforcement, but that's a whole different story. <laughs> no, you know, when I was in college, uh, I was studying economics, and and I uh, I really was interested in law enforcement and white collar crime and and things like that, and. And so uh, when I graduated, uh, it was 1985. It was uh, a, a real difficult time in the economy. So the FBI wasn't hiring. And uh, they had suggested to me that I go local law enforcement. And uh, so I tried that. Um, so I, I uh, tested for uh, the sheriff's department. I got in. I went to the academy. I did really well there. And I came back um, um, and it was it was a really enlightening experience. Uh, you know, I think that people that judge law enforcement, they shouldn't unless they walk in their shoes because mm -hmm. they don't understand the difference of what happens. I, it's like in New York where all the people were saying defund the police, you know, 396,000 times uh, in 21, I think it was, that they helped people without any use of force or anything, you know, they're, because they're the first ones on the scene. And then people see one thing that happens and they don't know the whole circumstance and they judge them on a 15 second snippet. Uh, you gain a whole different respect for what people do in service of this country 
in all different ways. And um, I, I gained that respect. And um, I, you know, as I told you, um, it, law enforcement was a journey. I got shot at a couple of times. I had uh, uh, some people die in my arms. You, you uh, learn that even though people tell you about CPR, it doesn't work very often <laughs> because of circumstances. Um, but it ultimately, I decided that for 15000 a year, I probably should do something different if I wanted to have my family and some of the other goals I had. So I uh, took a job with uh, Norwest, which was a, a, a bank. And, um, and in all honesty, I uh, ended up doing law enforcement for free for five more years because I felt it was my community. They paid for me to go to the academy. And so I did it as a reserve. So on uh, weekends and evenings when they were short, I would go in and work and I didn't get paid for it. Um, and uh, I believe that I could serve the guys that I was with from that angle, even though I wasn't a full time and it worked out really well. So I still continue to be in law enforcement, but I, I started my banking career. Yeah. 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 Uh, so what was it? How, how big was the town where you were in law enforcement? Um, it was Cheyenne, Wyoming, and it was about 75,000 okay. people, but, uh, it, it's an interesting community because it's on interstate 25 that connects Mexico to Canada and interstate 80 that connects New York to San Francisco. So a lot of trafficking of different things. And it was a large military mm-hmm. town. It's the largest, uh, um, a missile base on the planet. Um, so it's a large military town. It's got a long history. It goes back into the 1800s, both with military, the railroad and all of those things. Incredible. So what was it like to go from law enforcement and then putting on a, a banker hat? Like they seem, they seem really divergent. I think that's the right word, right? Like yeah, just- but, you know, surprisingly enough, I think that, uh, and, and you know, this, uh, everything we learn, we can put to use if we see the opportunity. Um, when you're lending in banking, you're doing background checks on people to see if they're, they're, uh, uh, you, you don't have a crystal ball. So when you're making loans for either houses or cars or whatever, you don't have, I was in lending, so you don't have a crystal ball. So you have to judge things based on people's behavior, you know, their credit, their job performance, those types of things. So in that way, it was very similar to law enforcement. You know, when you find out that somebody's in trouble or something like that, you do a lot of background to establish patterns and things like that. And then uh, when I used to interview people for either uh, traffic incidents or crimes, you learn those interview techniques that you can surface the truth. And when you're lending and interviewing people for applications, it's funny how those same traits came out. So I was really good at a couple of things, uh, evaluating lending. I had very low collections because I was very good at seeing people. And, and lending is about people and their tendencies. And so it works out. Uh, so I did really well with that. And oddly enough, some of those things came in handy. Plus, uh, the, you know, the discipline that I learned in martial arts is also reflected in, in, uh, you know, law enforcement. You get trained and you do the same things over and over again. I mentioned that I got shot at and, uh, you never know how you're going to react when that happens. And, um, I, I, thank God for those guys at the Academy because they prepared us for things like that. So I didn't panic. I did the right thing. Um, I was able to make sure that we handled the situation correctly. And, um, you know, in, in everything in life, 
if you practice enough and you learn enough, you can maintain calm. So I've been in circumstances since then that people lose their calm and I'm the one that can hold it together because of law enforcement and even banking. Uh, I will share one thing with you. Um, when you go up in management in the banks, the pressure is a lot worse than it was in law enforcement. So some of the biofeedback techniques and stuff mm. like that, that they train you in law enforcement uh, helped me in a, along with the martial arts background, because most of the time in law enforcement, it's reactionary um, in, in banking or in being an entrepreneur, you feel that pressure all the time. So if you don't know how to deal with it, it can be a hindrance to your success. It can be a hindrance to how you operate in uh, uh you know, when the economy turns or something like that, and you're trying to run a business. So I tell people all the time, you know, preparation and analysis and all of those things will give you calm. And then when you have a successful business, you want to do, you want to do planning for, you know, going foresight, looking two years out so that when things come at you, you're better prepared. And I think, uh, you know, when I left banking and went in to be a, a entrepreneur, that it, it enormously helped me to have quicker success. Yeah. Yeah. Undoubtedly. It's, it's interesting. So thinking about the banking, um, when did you, when did, what year did you start banking? Were you in, I, what I'm getting at was, were you in, in the banking industry uh, through the 2008? I, I, you're going to laugh. Um, so the mortgage debacle <laughs> happened, right? I was working for a wholesale mortgage bank. And I think I told you in 2007, I took a job locally in El Paso with the largest mortgage bank in West Texas so that I could be home to help raise my son. Um, and my wife, who's amazing, she probably didn't need me much, but I wanted to be there nonetheless. So, uh, yeah. you know, I, I took the job locally and it was a, it, it was a pretty thriving mortgage bank. Uh, little did I know in August of 2008, all of this stuff would hit and, and it was the largest mortgage debacle that, that happened. And I'd been through two other ones through my career. I started in 86. So I had seen, you know, the tail end of the savings and loan problems. And I saw what happened in the nineties. And then, then 2008 hits and I'm the president of a mortgage bank. Think about how smart that was. Right. <laughs> um, but, you know, I took the job and I had done my homework and they had been recruiting me for about nine months. And and what I saw, because I saw that there were going to be mortgage problems because, uh, you know, the rating agencies didn't handle things properly. The consumers didn't handle things properly. People leave consumers out of that. But they were a big problem in this, too, because they thought they could get rich quick. And so, you know, but it's never their fault. Well, it was. It was their fault. It was the realtor's fault. It was the lender's fault. It was everybody's fault. Everybody had their hand in it and only a couple of people got punished. And the, the mortgage bankers were the first and foremost that got punished. And the ones that didn't, that caused it to the most were the rating agencies because they put together these packages of mortgages that they would buy and sell on the secondary market that were called A paper. Well, they started putting in subprime loans with those. And so they screwed up the market because they were you were charging the right risk for those types of loans. And so everybody got in, in and, and it changed things. Well, the bank that I took over, um, I saw the opportunity in the turmoil that happened as an opportunity to grow the mortgage bank. And everybody went, what are you talking about? As a matter of fact, the board of directors thought I was crazy. 
I made a presentation 11 months after I took over, which was right around the beginning of 2008. And I told them I could double the operation and they'd been doing it for 23 years and they had done it really well. They were over 500 million. And I said, I can double it. And they said, you're nuts. And uh, so at that point, um, the next meeting, they go, well, what do we have to lose? So they said, well, we'll take you up on it. Right. And I said, okay, what do I get? And so they said, well, we'll, we'll do a million dollar bonus. And I thought, okay, that's, that's pretty okay. And then I said, what can I, can I decide what to do with that bonus? And they said, sure. And I said, great. Um, so what I did was I went to the employees and uh, I told them what we were going to do. And they laughed because they thought I was crazy as well. But then I said, <laughs> Hey, look, Everyone that's been vested in this company for five years will get an equal amount of that million dollars. The cashier and the president will get exactly the same amount. So I guarantee you, if we hit this goal, we'll all share in that bonus equally. Well, that was something they hadn't heard before. And so that changed the game for them to listen. And I was all about training. I was all about foresight. I had some great mentors. I got to study with Lou Holtz. I had, I had just a, a plethora of people that helped me grow my career. And uh, so I, I kind of had an idea of what I was going to do. Well, when I went back and looked at the market, everybody was struggling and going out of business and offering lower, you know, worse customer service because they were laying off people. They were getting out of the business. And I saw an opportunity to take market share. So that's what I did. I gobbled all the market share that was around. I did things better than other people. I put systems in place to be more efficient and to handle things better than my competition. And all of a sudden I was given four years to hit the goal and we hit every single goal. And I shared that million dollars with the employees. We doubled the size of the organization. And uh, it just goes to show you that you can take any circumstance. And I can assure you in any economic situation that there's opportunity. It's just upon you to not look at the distress but to look at the opportunity caused by the distress. And uh, I found that problem. I solved that problem. And we hit the goals. And I made some very happy employees. And uh, it also made me very happy because I was challenged by the management team who weren't truly managers, but uh, great employees. And so I had to work around them. So I had to come up with new systems that I hadn't used. So it challenged me. It made me a better leader. And it made me a better uh, mentor. And it, it made me uh, look at my techniques and, and constantly refresh what I did. So even at, uh, you know, I was in my late 40s and early 50s. It, it, it put me in a position where I had to act like I was 22, constantly reinvesting, reinventing myself, constantly doing research, constantly pushing technology. So I had to do all of those things. Um, and I still do those today at 60. That's awesome. So thinking about doubling the size and what in good economy or bad economy, if, if you're going to take a company from 500 million to over a billion in four years, doesn't matter the economy, people are going to look at you and say, sure. Like it just, it happens, but the odds aren't super great. So where did you find, uh, where did you find the systems? How did you know, what to do to make, to start to build this thing? 
Well, I, I, I had been in lending for since 86. So I'd been doing it for a long time and, and I'd been, you know, I'd been blessed with success. I had, I had, uh, many, uh, opportunities for, uh, me to learn <laughs> as it were, you know, <laughs> where you make mistakes. And, and I learned at an early age based on probably, a lot having to do with discipline and how you build on things. And I was really good at math and science. And that also has deductive reasoning. But economics is a systems-based thought process. And, and what's so unique about economics in my mind is that economics takes systems and resources, but matches it up against human demand. So it's the psychology of business. So when I look at problems, I just don't solve them from a system standpoint. I evaluate my ideal client and I take their perspective. And what I did was match what they needed with the product that we were going to offer them. And a lot of people don't realize that that means you have to get out of your own skin because everybody thinks that they have a great product. Everybody thinks that they have a solution. But I'm going to tell you that it's not just having the right product and the solution. I mean, I, and I'm going to probably get in trouble for saying this, but there's beers on the market that are the number one or number two beers on the market that are not really good. But what they've established is a really good marketing team to match their client with what they're selling. And, and that's what you really have to do. When you have a product that everybody else offers, you know, I learned a long time ago in banking, everybody's your competitor because everybody has money that they want to lend. So if you don't differentiate yourself either through uh, research, through identifying a need or solving a problem, then you're just like everyone else. And so the first thing I do when I have create a system is I create a system that matches what your product is and identifies the ideal client to match it to. And once you do that, then you have to elevate that communication, not just I have a I have a client and I have a product, but you got to get it to them. So what I did was I matched our product. I matched our systems to deliver the most efficient mortgage possible. And we did FHA and government financing. So they were, again, very similar to what everybody else did. But what I did was I went out in the community and I started training realtors and I started training builders and I showed them how. Financing can impact their business, not just with the loan, but how to match the clients to the, a smooth process that will get them closed. So it elevated their performance, elevated our performance. Then I trained their people. So I would go out and train their people to elevate their performance. So I train realtors, I train builders, and then I offered value add. So every month I give them a breakdown of where I saw the economy, what I saw was coming. And then I'd give them articles that would help them from their perspective do better. So once you do those things and you attack systems, you make your own operation more efficient. Then you make your client's operation more efficient. And the way you do that is by showing them how to improve their bottom line. Because they really don't care about your bottom line, right? They care about their bottom line. And that's okay. <clears throat> because if I can help them make more money, who are they going to be loyal to? Who, what's your retention like? Those are the things that I was always thinking. If I built a good relationship and I proved that we have a valuable product, I've differentiated myself from everybody that just says, oh, give me your mortgages. We'll close it. We'll close it. 
No. I'm like, give me your mortgages. We're going to close them better, faster, and we're going to have better communication with you. And we're going to be proactive so that you don't get egg on your face. And yet I'm going to go train your people so that they understand what's going on. Are you going to charge me for that? No. You know what I want you to have? The very best business you can have. That changes the game. That is something that that mortgage bank had never done. So increase the relationships and the partnerships. Uh, I remember when they transferred the partners, you know, the builders and stuff to me to handle, they thought it was going to take a lot longer. And it didn't because I was all about adding value. They were all about just making sure that you bought from us and you did your mortgages from us. So I changed it. And so it was very successful. And I'd been, I'd had success at uh, in Norwest before as well, far, Wells Fargo, you know, I made it to the top 10. You know, I keep reminders in the back of my office. My office is kind of deep. It's about 25 feet. But you see those acrylic things right about my hair level? Those, yeah. are, those are top 10 in the country uh, annually from Wells Fargo and from Norwest. And so I keep those there to remind me that there were struggles involved to get there. And so if I remember that, I can see the payoff. And then when I took it to the next one, the training that I used there got me prepared for that. So everything I do has a system. Sure, sure, sure. It's <clears throat> as you were sharing about what you did, it, you know, a couple of things come to mind. A, relational, not transactional. So, so often we, we, in general business, we want the transaction. Absolutely. And, and instead of just really focusing on building solid relationships and trusting that the rest is, I mean, obviously there's more than just trust, but, but it's going to come uh, once we establish those relationships. And the other thing I wrote down is force multiplier. So you went out, it sounds like, and found folks that could would champion your your message and your methods. Absolutely. And, it, and it, you know, I would be, I was prepared um, to help them. And that preparation to help them, when I went to see them, I didn't have to come back. I already had those things in my quiver ready to go. So when I was developing those initial relationships, I knew their, their problems and I knew what their hiccups are in their product line. So I was able to, you know, offer solutions, work it through them, and the other thing is, you know, when we're communicating and developing relationships, you don't speak to people in lingo. You speak to people mm. in language and language that they can understand because not everybody went to study economics. I do to this date, I do economic updates on a regular basis and I get a demand for those because I explain it in vernacular. And I know so many economists that want to keep that whole secret. I'm an economist. It's a mystery. And we only know what's, well, it's all crap, right? Bottom line is if you teach people what factors impact their businesses, they get better at it. And that's all I ever want. You know, I was, I was blessed. I put myself in a position that when I retired at 56, I didn't have to work anymore. But then I, uh, a friend of mine put me in this consulting thing and, and, uh, all of a sudden, I found new vigor and enjoyment in elevating other people's performance, which is something I had done throughout my career. I just never termed it that way. And so it was a natural, 
progression for me. And then because I was a really good mechanic and run other people's businesses, I was also prepared to be an entrepreneur. Because when I went in to be an entrepreneur, the failure of most entrepreneurs is not that they don't know their product or service. Generally, they know it really well. That's what gives them the courage to go into their own business. I do this better. I can do that better. And the problem is they don't know business well. And knowing business is different (laughs) than knowing your trade or service. You can be the very best plumber, but if you don't know how to run a business, you'll fail. And so one of the things that I bring to the table to my clients is the efficiencies of business. I create businesses. I tell people, if you're going to open a business, you open it from the get-go, planning on selling it. And they don't understand that. And it's not that you'll ever sell it. But if you create your business as if somebody else is going to grade it and buy it, you're going to create a better business, not only for yourself, your people, your profit, but also if one day you decide, I don't want to do this anymore. Then it becomes turnkey because you've got systems in place. You've got SOPs in place. You've got employee engagement rules. You you have all of these things set up from the get-go. So you're just, then you're just scaling. And I teach scaling. So it it is systems. Yeah. 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 So, and the term that comes to mind is that you know, you've described the accidental entrepreneur, which is what I was when, when I started out. I, I could pour concrete and I could work hard. Um, so work hard became the solution to everything. You know, you're short on cash, work harder. We, we, we got to get this. Do we need more people? Put in more hours. And, and, you know, you create, most of us, I think, start a business because we want more freedom. And we find ourselves in a prison of our own making. Um, because we don't learn the ins and outs of business. So it was, yeah. And that my journey as the accidental entrepreneur and the the ups and down and the the memories of the pain are why I do business coaching today, because if I also (laughs) learned the, the impact and influence that business, the, the small business owner has in our country, it's infinite. And every, every time we can get a business owner to get their head up out of the weeds, start working on that business, creating that system, that, that, that entity that can exist with, without them, we create this positive ripple effect that just spreads across families and communities. It really, it, it really well, is infinite. So if you go to our schools now, there's no, there's no aspirations. There's no ambition. There's none of that being taught now. We're, we're looking at all of our failures instead of all of our successes. And I think that entrepreneurs are the savior of our country because they see potential, not only in themselves, but in their employees and in what they can do for the community. You know, I, I would, the one thing I'll tell you about Norwest is um, I did work 78 hours a week and they gave you a system, but they made you work it. The one thing that they were different than most banks is, you weren't just the banker. You had to run your branch. So you had to get bids on everything. You had to, if you were setting up a remodel, you had to learn how to run a business. So they taught you how to run a business, which is what I learned. Then they taught you how to do it efficiently. And then they taught you training. I mean, their training was top notch. If you made it through their training program and you were there for five to 10 years, you were getting job offers from everyone because their training was that good. So I got the basis 
for being an entrepreneur from working for a corporation that had been around since the 1800s and done it successfully. So I'm sure they had plenty of mistakes that they made. But if you made it to their management, you understood certain things. I operated in different economies from Cheyenne to Denver to Cruces to El Paso. You know, a 70,000 uh, person city to Denver, two and a half million. I was successful there. Why? We had good systems. We had a good understanding of our product. We had a good evaluation of the circumstance around us, the dealers, all of those things. So you go in learning that. And then when I left, I understood what I did. I didn't necessarily understand it while I was working at the companies as I was getting promoted and, and doing those things and getting job offers. Then when I left, I realized, you know, I'm a pretty damn good mechanic. I can take a situation and fix it. And, you know, entrepreneurs, if they start with that mentality, I'm not going to give myself heartburn. I'm going to start setting this business up the right way. Then I can do what I really love. Yeah, you <laughs> you bring a lot up there. Um, one of the things that comes to mind, a Sorry. friend of mine. <laughs> no, 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 it's good. It's good. It's good. Uh, I, a young man we grew up with. Well, he's not young anymore. He's about my age. Uh, but uh, he got a job. I think it was like at a restaurant. It doesn't. Let's just say he got a job as a dishwasher. And the advice his dad gave him was, it's okay to be the dishwasher, but watch everything. It's a successful business. So pay attention to what, you know, what they're doing up front. Pay attention to what they're doing behind the line. Pay attention to the whole business um, and it'll set you up well. And I think he must have taken pretty, taken that to heart. Uh, or be, because he's done very well in business uh, for himself, uh, just uh, be, because of those systems and those the ways of operation that he learned from other folks, as you did. But I think a lot of us, do you see this where, where a lot of folks, they get, you know, they become the spoke in the wheel and they never take a look at who's, you know, who's pedaling the bike, so to speak. What well, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a story because uh, I learned a lot from Burger King. I coach a couple of billionaires and uh, they, they laugh when I bring up Burger King until I tell them why. And then all of a sudden it's not laughing anymore. I, uh, I took your, or that advice that that dishwasher had, I got hired for my first job at Burger King and I was making Whoppers, right? And you're making Whoppers and you, you're learning all this stuff. And, and after, after about two months, every time I take a shift, when I come on shift, they'd let two people go. And so after about two weeks, I asked the guy, I said, how can we let everybody go when I get here? He says, because you weren't as good as three of those guys. <laughs> so two weeks pass, and then the owner shows up. And I bring the owner to the back, and I said, have you watched your labor? Because I was pretty good at math, right? And so I had him explain to me the labor. And the guy says, yeah. He says, yeah, we, we really appreciate how hard you're working. And I said, well, this is what I'm going to ask you. You save two employees every time I walk in the door. And what I'm going to tell you is I want to raise. I want you to double my salary, and you're going to still come out 35% ahead. First lesson I learned, I went from 217 to 434. And he said, done. And, and then next thing you knew, you know, that summer, by the end of the summer, I was already assistant manager and that was in Cheyenne and I went to Laramie and he owned the Burger King in Laramie and I wasn't going to work. And he called me up and he says, can you come work for us? 
says, you don't have to manage. You can pick your shifts and everything, and I'll pay you this. And then he said, I'll give you a $500 semester scholarship. <laughs> so I learned a couple of things. One, if you learn about what's going on and why you understand an operation a lot better, you can make better decisions. It also gives you leverage to make smart decisions for yourself. The second thing I learned is if you really have something that's worthwhile, people will seek you out and bring you in. And so I was 17 when I went to school. And by the time I was 18, I was picking my shifts and running. Yeah, it wasn't a glory job, but I learned they had inventory, they had training, they had customer service, they had managing of people. Each of those operations had 60 employees. And you learned about how employees didn't care about their jobs and how you could make it so that you could form a team. All that stuff I learned at Burger King while I was going to school to become an economist. And I, tra I, I took all those tools, just like I did karate, just like I did law enforcement. And everything I learned, I try and use because you make so many mistakes. You're like, how come I made that mistake when I know this? And so now you and I are coaching because we made enough mistakes that we would love to prevent people the pain that we had. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that the truth? So, yes, you bring up the coaching, which is a great segue, because when we were first talking, you said you retired at 56. And then you told me that you, you, know, you got, got into consulting and coaching. And, and I wrote down retired at 56. And then right, right underneath it, I have written refired at 56 because I'm, I'm listening <laughs> to you talk. And uh, I, so I'm not a believer in retirement. I, I, I don't. I I can't find it anywhere in the Bible that it says, "Hey, just just golf the rest of our years." So I so so the fact that so I call it a refirement anyhow, which is what you're now doing. Tell us about your your business endeavors currently and and kind of this this journey. I think four years so far as an entrepreneur. Well, um, you know, it's been really exciting. I started just doing some uh, business coaches for with local people. And uh, one of my old partners that was a builder, he said uh, he was involved in these motivational things. I won't say any names, but he, he went to him and they charge a lot of money and everything. He says, you know what? Why don't we create something where people can go, they can bring their spouses, they can get really good content, and we can do consulting, and we can focus on four Fs, family, fitness, finance, and, and uh, faith. And he said, because a lot of the people that I've met, um, they're doing really well in their businesses, but because of that, other things have suffered. They don't have good balance. They don't understand these things. So um, we created a company called YBL, Your Best Life. And that company's premise is to give those four uh, pillars, the, the um reflect on them the way they should be reflected. So we have four trips a year. We go to exotic places and our people go with us and we set up these experiences. And instead of going for 15 hours in a day, we don't. We believe that the community of those people is of far more value than the coaches. So even though we have some really good coaches and I, I, I'm a pretty good uh, coach, business coach, I, I can accelerate businesses, I can scale. But the knowledge base in that community that we've assembled is so tremendous. It's, it's amazing. So when we share time together, our content's four or five hours a day. The rest of the time we do experiences together and we share. And it's, it's been remarkable. We started it in the middle of COVID. 
Our first trip was March of 21, and we went to Costa Rica. When everybody said, don't travel, don't do this, don't do that, we went. We had an amazing trip. Then we went to Deer Valley, Utah. Then we went to Greece. This was all in 2021, and it was amazing. And our, our people felt like they'd never had this type of engagement before. And so uh, we still have that business, and uh, I'm the managing partner. And uh, it's, it's, we're getting ready to go to the Dominican Republic. Uh, last year, we did some awesome trips. We went, to Puta, or we went to Machu Picchu in Peru. We've done some amazing things. We went to, uh, gosh, just so many things I can't, I can't even name. But, um, and I still coach. So I coach. Uh, I, I do Zooms probably four or five hours a day all over the world. I have uh, clients all over and uh, I, I really enjoy it. It's really fulfilling. And then I have uh, my own personal consulting where I do some real estate consulting here, just finished a 440 unit residential uh, development here. I've got some other things planned in Lubbock and everything. I've become involved in uh, uh, limited partnerships on multifamily units. So I have seven of those uh, in Texas and in Nashville, about 1,800 doors. Um, I'm getting ready to open a biohacking franchise in Austin, Texas with two doctors. And I'm part of a renewable energy company in Fort Collins, Colorado. Um, I'm also, somebody asked me to partner with them on a, a, a small partnership for guidance on a, a investment insurance uh, a business. And so that's kind of where I'm at. I'm, I'm kind of capping out now. So I'm, uh, the beauty of what I do is I get to pick who I want to work with because I'm not under any financial stress anymore. So uh, it's, it's really fun. And as you can tell, I have pretty good energy for a 60-year-old. So I'm doing all right. You're do, doing awesome. And you, sound, <laughs> you got more on your plate than most 35-year-olds. You know, I do. And I, and I love that. <laughs> And as long as I'm successful at it, I'll, I'll continue. When I when I don't feel my performance is where it should be, then I'll parcel those out. But um, a lot of my businesses are automated, which is exactly what I train. So when I teach people about dashboards and everything, I, I can review my businesses fairly quickly on the dashboards and I can identify where there's problems that need to be handled and I can insert myself and then get back out. And uh, so it's kind of fun. And you got to train people and you got to set expectations. And if you do all of those things, um, nothing's perfect, but you end up doing, doing okay. Yeah. 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 You, uh, as you were talking just now, I think it'd be awesome to do a follow-up sometime where we talk specifically about setting up systems and depending on how much of your proprietor, you know, how much of your, how much I'm willing uh, to share property. Yeah, how much of your intellectual property you're willing to give away to freedom to, to our listeners? Uh, but it would be fun to have that discussion. Like, okay, I'm thinking about a business, and from there, just walk it through to say a, a, a eight year exit or something. I don't know, just just an idea. I'd um, love but, to do that with you. And and uh, yeah. you know, the premise of how I operate now with my people is when I do uh, I do speaker spotlights where you know once a month or once every six weeks I'll do a one hour. A course for all of our people. And I will share a slide deck with them so that they can have something to refresh their memory. And I always tell them, I would love for you to share that with your people and, uh, you know, share those things with them. Um, I'm sure somebody makes money off it. I don't, you know, but the, if you and I are true to our core, 
and why we do this. Um, I'm not pitching anything and you're not pitching anything. And, and uh, that's why I'm so grateful to people like you that do these podcasts, because it is a way for people to garner knowledge without somebody trying to extract, extract 80,000 a year from them and this and that. And, you know, I, I, you know, I know that everybody has to make money and in my consulting business, I do make money. Um, I'm very well paid and I don't get fired off. Um, but it's all about value, right? If you're bringing the value, whatever you're charging matches that value and you're fine. So um, I'd love to do that. So if you want to do that, you can cool. send me an example and we'll go through it. Awesome. 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 We'll, we'll, we've got that to look forward to. For for the listeners that are, are here today and would like to learn more about you or see what it would look like to work with you on a consulting basis, Dean, how do we? How does somebody find you or is the best way to get a hold of you? Well, our company has a website and it's uh, www.yblnow.com. Um, the, for me personally, I have an Instagram and it's uh, DJ underscore Crusades. And then for my Facebook, it's just Dean Ennis. And uh, so you see, I'm not really active on social media, but there's some things there. You can see snippets of speaking events that I've done and stuff like that and and, uh, you know, you get a flavor for me and, uh, I, I, I try and respond to people that have inquiries and everything, but the, the website is really unique. And so far as it's, it's very, uh, it'll show you the trips. It'll show you testimonials of people that I've worked with. And, and, uh, so you'll get a flavor for what we do in that. And then you've gotten a flavor for what I kind of do here. Uh, I'm very much the same, you know, I know there's people that, have all these fancy backgrounds and everything. But, uh, you know, I, I look at it this way. If people are, are paying for that. Then I probably don't need to talk to them anyway. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I've told people a couple of times that, and they're like, I'm like, this is me. You know, I love sports. I love reading. I love star Wars. I love my brother. You know, it's a picture of us when we, he was three and I was five. You know, awesome. those are the things I love and, and that's what I am. So, you know, I, I want people to know that I'm very much who I am. I've done those things that I've said. I practice those things that I said. I fought full contact karate for 10 years. I try and stay in shape. Uh, you know, it's a good, it's a good, I'm very grateful. Awesome. So before I, I turn to this, Dean. Go ahead. <laughs> I was just going to uh, typically wrap up with this. Um, what's one important or impactful question you'd leave with our listeners? What should they be asking themselves? What does my client really want? What does my client really want? And whether you offer a service or a product, what do they really want? And if you get into their head instead of yours, you'll be better off. Outstanding. Thank you, Dean. Thank you so much for being here today. You're welcome, Todd. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. Been a pleasure. Listeners, thank you so very much for being here. Without you, we wouldn't be here. Before I turn you loose, whatever grand vision you've been given, whatever dream God has put on your heart, remember, you can. Until next time, be bold, be humble, stay healthy, stay hopeful. Live life strong. Peace to you, everybody. 
Well, thank you so much for listening. For even more on turning trials into triumphs and seeking and embracing success, go to toddhalls.life. That's toddhalls.life. And I look forward to serving you. Until next time, be strong, be bold, be humble, stay healthy, stay hopeful. Peace to you.